Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. Let's get into the Word. I have been jumping around with a bunch of different things. You know, last week we got into some things. I want to do a little bit of review because I want to I continue on this path. But I've really been trying to figure out where to start with this. Uh, a lot of times when I preach, uh, what I do is I, I want to go back a little bit to give the context. Well, then <laughs> you can keep going back and, and uh, get back to creation every time. But that, that is where we're going to start this morning. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Last week, we were talking about, uh, we began talking about how we all have, we've all adopted roles in life and rules by which we do life. Uh, We all have a way that we navigate relationships, we navigate life, and those roles and those rules were adopted from the home that we grew up in. And that was just how we learned, And, and we all took those with us, and from then on, what we do is we take that role and we try to look for a... We look for a void in a relationship and we plug that role in and we kind of tend to play the same role throughout life and we navigate life by the rules we got. And that's one of the reasons that marriage is such a challenge because you got two separate families with that operate by two separate rules and they get married and they're in love and they got Google eyes for each other and they think this is going to be great. And then they got to choose whose rules they're going to follow. And it, it creates a tension because you, you've got to develop how are we going to do life? And so we take a little bit from our home and a little bit from her home and we bring it together and we kind of shake that out and we figure, hey, you know what? Your family was dysfunctional in this area. And she says, well, your family was dysfunctional in this area. And we try to bring that all together and create a functional home. And don't look at me like I'm the only one that's gone through this. Now, I'm not speaking from personal experience. I've just counseled a lot of people, okay? So this has not been something my wife and I have gone through we were both raised in very functional, very healthy homes. And, uh, of course, our children are going to be saying the same. Right, kids? All right, well, don't pay attention to them. But uh, anyway, that, so here's the thing. We, we don't realize the areas of our life where we're unhealthy. We don't realize uh, where there, there's belief systems that we have. We don't even realize they're, they're, they're unhealthy belief systems, that they're not true. And that's why one of the reasons we need to have relationships, we need to have community. God's brilliant design was he put the lonely in families. Uh, I want to say it's Psalm 68. He, I, I put the lonely in families. And so God will put us in the body of Christ and this eclectic mix. I mean, if you look around this morning and the backgrounds here, it's, it's almost funny because there's a lot of us would have never hung around each other before we got saved. We wouldn't have gave each other the time of day. Matter of fact, we would have really been, we would have been opposite sides of a lot of pendulums. But here we are in the same church Doing, doing Christianity together, doing life together. And that's a healthy thing because without community, your dysfunctional behaviors and belief systems remain unchallenged. You don't even know that they're there because there's no one there to challenge them. You know, there's some things that I learned 
about my belief system. There's some things I, I've stumbled on that you know, I, I believed wrong as I've studied the Bible. As I've studied the word, I realize, oh man, I, I, I've, that's wrong. I, I believe this wrong. This is, this is what the true word and challenges me. But there's a lot of things that I don't see in the Bible because I impose my belief system right over it. And so what I needed was some other believers around me that were living in a different way. They were more healthy. They had healthy parameters to their relationships and so forth. And I start to rub shoulders with them. And all of a sudden, it, it challenged those things in my life. I began to realize, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm seeing some things wrongly. See, the problem with deception is it's very deceptive. You don't know where you're deceived. You don't know the areas of your life where you really need to challenge those beliefs. And so we need to be around the healthy body of Christ. And so last week we were talking about how you can't grow alone. You can't go it alone because you can't grow alone. You've got to, you need other people around you. And we, we talked about in 1 first, first John chapter 1 where it says that if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship one with another and the, then you are cleansed from all un, or purified from all unrighteousness. So there's this three-tiered approach, these three steps that are dependent upon one another. The only way to be purified from all unrighteousness is you have to have fellowship. You've got to be in fellowship with some people. So this thing of, oh, I just have me and Jesus, I don't need people. Yeah, how's that working for you? I've heard a lot of dysfunctional people, you know, Living in their own little, their own little hibernated world, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, isolated from everybody else, thinking that they're healthy, and everybody on the outside can recognize they're not, but no one's there in their, their world to challenge them. And so if you want to be purified, you got to have fellowship. And if you want fellowship, you got to walk in the light. In other words, you got to be transparent. you got to be vulnerable. you got to be open and honest. And as we're transparent and vulnerable, we can enter into deeper relationships. Because if what you do, when you come to church, if you put on a facade, we don't have a relationship with you. We have a relationship with the projection of what you're trying to be around us. If you try to be something else at church than you are outside of church, then you're, those, those behaviors outside of church aren't being challenged because you're not, they're not showing up at church. And so we need to be open and honest. We've got to have transparent relationships. We've got to have relationships where we're real. And so I'm telling you, this thing of vulnerability, transparency, not trying to be something, not a, you know, having, putting up appearances, all of that. That, is, that in and of itself is deliverance. You want to talk about freedom, be free to be you in any environment. Show up the same way in all your environments, that is freedom, my friend. But in order to do that, we've got to find, we've got to find those safe relationships to do that. And so we've got to show up and be real. Years ago, I've, I've told you this before, many of you have heard this. When I first started in ministry, it was, I, I worked for a program called Teen Challenge. Started there in uh, 1988, and, and I was about probably three, four weeks in uh, working there. The Lord spoke to me one morning very strongly. He said, David, ministry is letting people run their fingers around your wounds. And when he said it, I knew there was a whole lot more to it than I understood. And what he was saying essentially is, is that, Preaching 
is it, it, you're preached the word, but the fact is Paul told us we are all a message. You are God's message to your world. You know that old saying, you're the only Bible some people will ever read? Your life is a message. But it's not just the great things we've done. You know, my, my, my message the message that comes through me is not just, oh, I prayed for so-and-so and they got healed, or I preached to this many people. No, it's, you know what? I was a basket case, and Jesus redeemed me. And he can still use me, even though some of my, the areas of my life I'm still discovering every now and then, oh, there's some more basket case stuff here. You know, I, I thought I was mature, and I lifted the lid on that one, and oh, man, I still got things to work on. And that's our message, because when we, if we're preaching ourselves as the message, how good we are, you know, the good things we've done, the, the, you know, the things we've accomplished, then people are going to say God uses them because of how good they are. But if we can share our struggles, if we can let people run their fingers around our wounds, then they're going to say, you know what, if God can use him, if God can use her, then he can use me as well. We're, I was talking with someone around the altar last Sunday, and I don't remember who it was, but... Uh, I was reminded of this quote by C.S. Lewis. Many of you know who C.S. Lewis is. He's a brilliant writer. And uh, he had this quote in one of his books. He said, friendship begins with the words, you too? I'm not the only one? I just love that. So be friendly. Walk around and be transparent. And what that will do is that will result in relationships, real relationships, where you're getting down to the nitty-gritty. You're, you're talking about the real stuff. You're sharing your struggles. You're, you're sharing things. And as you walk through life, and it's not always in that you're on one side of the desk and I'm on, on the other side of the desk, and we're counseling one another. A lot of times it's just doing life together that we bump into things and we realize, you know what, I see this differently than other people do. And they seem to have better results in their life than I am in this area. And it probably has to do with this behavior, this belief system. And so it's in the, the context of those honest, open relationships that we ultimately get purified from all unrighteousness. And here's the, here's the catch. First John says, if you confess your sins, you're forgiven. That's great. You can be forgiven through confession. But it doesn't mean you're free. I know a lot of people that are forgiven but not free. They're forgiven, but they keep needing forgiveness for the same cycle of behavior. And God wants to break us out of those cycles and give us lasting freedom. Well, that freedom comes through that purification that comes through relationships where we get around people and we begin to learn how to do life in a healthy way. And that demands conflict. Let me say it again. That demands conflict. There's going to be things stirred up in our life. And most of us run from conflict. But if we don't have conflict, disagreement, someone challenging us, we're never going to grow. Most of us, most believers, grow on accident. Their spiritual growth is just, it's, it's almost like they stumble into it. They'll be sitting in church and they'll hear, they'll hear something or they'll listen to a Christian station and they hear something or, or they pick something up here or there and they, they grow by accident. But God wants us to be on this intentional path of growth. You need to be hungry to be all you can be. 
I'll tell you, it makes my heart sing when Linda talked about coming here and beginning when in this environment, she began to discover her gifts and people were calling out what was inside of her, calling it out of her so that she can step into her, her destiny. We need to be hungry for that. God wants you to grow up into who you're called to be. But it takes intentionality. We need to pursue growth rather than growth just happening. Christian growth, there, there is an element of growing as a Christian that's just like you're a baby and you eat a lot and you grow. Matter of fact, in, in 1 Peter, I want to say, it says, like newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word. What's he saying? He's saying that the word is to your life as a believer what, the mel- what milk is to a newborn baby. Now, I've had a lot of babies, me and my wife. We've had seven. And I've been around a lot of babies. I used to work in a daycare. Woo-hoo. Man, it's a wonder I had babies after that. But, uh, man, when you, ha- when you have milk, babies eat an enormous amount of liquid in their body compared to their body size. I mean, a little baby, you know, a be- bottle's about the size of their, their leg almost, you know. I mean, can you imagine if we were consuming like six containers about the size of your leg every day? You would grow thereby. <laughs> it wouldn't be good, but you would grow. But what he's talking about is, listen, this, this, a baby has a ravenous hunger, and it takes in this milk, and it grows exponentially in those first few years of its life. And you are to have the same appetite for the Word of God, because it's going to be the milk that will make you grow. And you should have a disproportionate appetite to the size of your being, <laughs> like a baby. Thank God we don't still eat that much. Wouldn't that be crazy? We'd, we'd have to have two jobs, you know, one job to pay for our food. And Anyway, that's a little rabbit trail, but it just it makes me think. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. All right. Look at verse 5. What I want to do is I want to back up a little bit because what we're talking about is growing as a Christian. God wants you to grow up. And in order to, for God to grow you up, there's a couple of things that have to happen uh, in order for you to become all you were called to be. God had a dream and it was you. God dreamt about who you were going to be before you were ever conceived by your mother and father. You were conceived in his mind before you were conceived in their bed. Okay, that might have been a little graphic, but that's the case, okay? You were conceived in the mind of God. God had a great idea, and it's you. But your, your idea was, his idea of you was not you simply being a baby. It was you being a full-grown adult and expressing all that he put within you. For Linda, it's books. I, notice I said plural. Books. It, for Linda, it's books. For other people, it's, uh, you know, some people express, like Ty, through building houses and, and expressing himself through that. God put things in us. He wants to release to the world. He's going to release it through you. But there's a, there's a level of maturity that we have to have in order for us to launch those things that God wants to put through us. The, the problem was that sin entered the world and derailed this whole plan. What God's plan was is that Adam and Eve would have babies, who would have babies, who would have babies. And these, these babies would grow up to adults and they would have children that they would raise into their full potential. And they would expand Eden to cover the earth. And they would all live and fulfill their potential. 
And it was all in that little phrase in Genesis chapter 2, let us make man in our own image. Genesis 2.26. That image was potential and that making was a process. And we're still, we're all still in that process. But God is conforming you into his image. He put the, the, his nature in you by new birth, but originally by creation. We marred that through sin. And then God redeemed us and put his nature back into us through salvation. But now he's drawing that nature out. We're growing up so that we don't merely have his nature, we have his character. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to be all that he's called us to be. So what, was, what happened is God, when, when God created man, uh, matter of fact, let, let's go into this Trinitarian view of man. Uh, there, there's several different views that people have for man theologically. I personally have studied for years on this, read many, many books, and I am firmly a Trinitarian when it comes to uh, man's makeup. And what I mean by that is we are spirit, soul, and body. Now there's some people talk about the inner man and the outer man, that you're a body with an inner man that's, you know, the, the spirit and the soul and they're really interchangeable. I don't agree with that. Don't have a whole lot of time to go really deep into that. But let me just lay a few things down. Uh, in Genesis, where, it's, where God says, let us make man in our image, in the image of God, he made him, male and female, he created them. It says he, he laid out Adam and he breathed in him the breath of, and in the Hebrew, it's lives. It's plural. It's not the breath of life. It's the breath of lives. There were two simultaneous lives that inhabited Adam's being. It, there was the soul. It was, it, Adam's soul was, was what animated his body. But there was also his spirit. And that was the higher life. And his spirit what was, what, was that element of his nature that was able to co contact and connect and have relationship with God. And so we are a Trinitarian being. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are spirit, soul, and body. And our body is that element of our nature that has our physical body enables us to contact the physical realm. It'd be really hard to live in the physical realm if we didn't have a body. Try showing up for work as a ghost. It would freak everybody out and they'd fire you. So you need a body to live in the physical world. Then we have our spirit, and our spirit is that that component of our nature that can have contact with God, that hears from God. Some of you have experienced it. We'll be in a service and all of a sudden you feel like, oh, something's going to happen. There's going to be a tongues, an interpretation or something like, you know, you just, you have this sense and all of a sudden it happens. That's your spirit. Your spirit man is in contact with the spiritual realm. It's picking up on things. And we need to grow that. We need to grow in our ability to sense things in the spirit. That's a function of your human spirit. But then we have this human soul, the soul of man, which is your self-conscious. In Luke chapter 9 where it says, uh, Jesus called us to pick up our cross daily and follow after him. He said, pick up your cross and deny yourself that the word there is soul. You're denying your soul. The soul is the seat of self. It's what makes you unique from the other selves in this room. We're all unique. And, and that your soul is what gives you that unique personality of who you really are. Your soul is Trinitarian. It's your mind. It's your will. It's your emotions. Your mind, your thinking. 
your, your will, your, your choosing, and your emotions, your feeling. And that unique mixture of mind, will, and emotions gives you your unique personality. The problem is God created a spirit, soul, and body. He breathed into Adam the breath of lives. Uh, uh, Adam was to have a relationship with God in his spirit, commune with God, process what he was getting from God in his soul, his mind, and as he thought the thoughts of God, he would feel certain feelings. When you, when you th uh, think the truth, your feelings are accurate and healthy. But if you believe lies, if your belief system is off, then your feelings are going to be off. And a lot of people navigate life by their feelings when they're coming from this weird belief system that's not even anchored in reality. If what you believe is not truth, then what you feel is not reality. But there's a whole lot of people living life according to a map. That's, it, it's like they're going into Detroit with a Chicago map. And they're trying to find their way around. They, they, don't, they can't figure out why they're lost and why they, you know, they can't find anything and they keep getting down the wrong, wrong street. It's because they're going according to the wrong map. What they believe isn't truth, so what they feel isn't reality, but that's the map they're navigating life by. And that's why we've got to, we, we have to be very intentional about renewing our mind. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but see, here's the deal. Adam and Eve were to relate with God in their spirit, distill that, process that in their mind so they could articulate what God was saying and then their body would carry out the will of God on the earth and thereby the kingdom of God would be manifest on the earth. Man's will was meant to express God's will. But not in some dictatorial way, but in a relationship where we have a relationship with him, and as we relate with him, we express his kingdom, his will on the earth. But we know that's not how it worked in the garden. The first mom and dad, the first humanoids that ever placed their feet on planet earth got messed up because they were lied to. Now here, I want you to understand, this is the power of a lie. Adam and Eve did not have a sin nature. They were not sinners. They didn't have a sin nature. They didn't have a nature that had a propensity towards sin. Yet they fell into sin and took all the next, all the, the, the following generations with them into sin. And it wasn't a sin nature. It was the power of a lie. Now here's the thing. When you are born again, your sin nature is crucified with Christ. And you are given a new nature. So you don't function according to a sin nature anymore. Now some of you have been taught you do. I'm here to tell you, you don't. You're not functioning according to a sin nature. But that doesn't mean it's all easy street from here on out. Because we still have to contend with the power of a lie. If the lie could take Adam and Eve off track in the garden, then it can take you and I off track in relationship with God. When Paul said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, what he's saying is, 
Start to educate your mind. Get the truth in there. Understand what reality is. Understand the truth of, of God's nature, of how the spiritual realm works. Understand uh, you know, moral parameters. Understand all these things so that you can be transformed. He said that after, long after the cross. He was saying this to people who are saved. So I'm here to tell you this morning, being saved is not enough. Being born again is not going to guarantee your freedom. It makes it a potential, but it doesn't necessarily make it your experience. So we've got to be very intentional about pursuing freedom. And a lot of that, you know, we, we think in, we, a lot of times we think in terms, of, you know, we're talking freedom, we think in terms of like alcoholism or, you know, anger issues or pornography and all the, those things are, are second tier issues. We need to get down to the roots. That's behavioral stuff. And the key to your freedom is not to white knuckle your behavior. No, if you got to start there, good, start there. You know, if you got an anger issue, don't say, well, I'm just going to wait till I deal with the root, and then, until then I'm just going to go off on everybody around you. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying white-knuckle it, but get down to the root issues because your behavior is flowing from your, be- your belief systems. Your believing determines your behaving. So if you want to behave right, start believing right. And so we've got to get down and begin to dig up these issues and begin to examine what we really believe. A lot of us, man, we, you know, a lot of depression and uh, anxiety and all of these issues, modern science, and there's different, you know, you go to different doctors, different doctors will give you a different philosophy and they will treat you according to a different philosophy. But there's a lot of people in the medical field that think that emotion is just a chemical reaction that you got to you know that your chemicals are going off and so therefore let's take a pill that'll adjust your chemicals and and then be it's a very materialistic view it it has to do with we're all we are is the sum total of of the minerals that make us up but you and I know there is a there is another dimension there is the hidden realm which is the soul and the spirit and so even though my body may be freaking out and and that's a very real thing you can you can track Uh, depression with chemical imbalances. But I would challenge you this morning. Now I'm not saying, I I am not saying don't ever take medication under the care of a doctor. I'm not saying that. But I am saying the jury is still out on whether that chemical imbalance is a cause or a result. And a lot of times what needs to happen is we need to deal with the underlying belief system that begins to unravel these emotions. And over time, our emotions will begin to follow our belief system. That's why if you, if you struggle with depression, don't, don't go to someone that just wants to medicate you alone. Go to someone that's going to begin to counsel with you and walk you through some things and figure out where are these, these feelings of anxiety? Where are these feelings of depression? Where are these feelings coming from? Because if you can get to the root of those, I've seen it many, many times. I, I've seen many people with a, a, a clear diagnosis in, in, in the medical field of some chemical imbalance that begins to walk with Jesus really begins to cooperate with that process, begins to deal with their own belief system and, with, and deal with their emotions, 
And as they do, those things no longer become necessary because their emotions begin to fall into line and follow their right believing. Years ago, I don't remember where I heard it, who I heard it from. It was probably 30 years ago now. But somebody drew a semi-truck on a whiteboard and they said, this is the human soul. You got the trailer, which is your emotions. You got the engine, which is your mind. And then you got the steering wheel, which is the will. Steering wheel, get it? Anyway, so you choose what you're going to think about and your emotions are to follow. That's the way God made us. Be intentional about your thought life. Don't let your thoughts wander. Don't just grab anything anybody says. Don't just, just because somebody has a couple letters behind their name doesn't mean what they're speaking is truth. And just because they have a reverend in front of their name doesn't mean they're speaking the truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. So let's get into the word like like ravenously hungry little children, little babies, and let's drink the pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby. And in so doing, we begin to found our life on the truth. God knows how his creation runs. He's really pretty smart. He made it, he understands it, and he shared it with us in his book. And if we'll get into it, he will train us in the way we should go. But too often in our, in our culture, we're like a semi-truck driving backwards. How many of you have ever tried to drive backwards at a semi-high rate of speed? Raise your hand. Uh, mostly guys. <laughs> How many of you have tried to do it with a trailer? Have you, have you tried to back up a trailer and slide it into a narrow little place? It's not the easy. You've got to learn to do it. Once you, some guys get really good at it, some not so much. But it's tricky. You can't do it at a high rate of speed. You don't see semis going down the highway. I don't care how good the driver of the guy is, about 80. <laughs> rear view. <laughs> that would that'd be dangerous. If you ever do see that, get off the road quickly. <laughs> because you're going to jackknife. And it's like a lot of believers, a lot of people live there. Now, it's understandable when non-believers live that way, but it's not understandable when we do. We should know better. That we, we, our emotions lead the way. Well, this is how I feel. So we're making decisions based on our feelings and, and we, we come to conclusions based on our feelings rather than coming to conclusions based on the word and then making decisions and forcing our emotions to follow. And at first, if you're, if you're used to just living by your emotions, and by the way, those of us from a drug background, that was what that was all about. Let's smoke an emotion. You know, let's drink a six-pack of emotion. We were, we were trying to numb out and feel good. We were living for our feelings. And so part of discipleship for me coming out of that background was that I had to begin to say, you know what, it, I'm, I'm going to set my emotions aside. My emotions, emotions are not meant to be a concert where you just get there and feel the music. <laughs> emotions are like the background music to a movie, okay? They enhance it, but they're not the main story. It's like salt, you know, it enhances the taste of your food. A little goes a long way. But you don't eat a plate of salt and live very long, you know. You look like, you, put, you ever put salt on a little slug, you know. They say, that's what would happen to you if you ate a plate of salt. Don't do it. But we do that mentally. by fault. We, we make our emotions everything. We want to feel our emotions. And the fact is, what we need to do is we need to set things in order. 
when we, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were cut off from God. He said, in the day you sin, you shall surely die. And they began to die slowly physically, but they died immediately spiritually. They were cut off from God. So now man was no longer able to take his mind and receive from the things of the spirit and pass them to his body. So now what's he going to do? He's going to lean on his own understanding, his own mind, will, and emotions and tell his body to do those things. Or worse yet, he's going to let his body tell his mind what to do. It's an interesting little verse in Hebrews chapter 4. Many of you are familiar with it. It says, The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder soul and spirit, joint and marrow. So he says there's a distinction in that verse. The word of God will, will, will divide between soul and spirit and then joint and marrow. Well, if you look at what, what the writer is saying there, he says soul, joint, spirit, Marrow, okay? So the spirit of man is compared to the marrow of the bone. The marrow of your bone is the very center part of your skeletal system. And in fact, it's where your blood is produced and in the life is in the blood. The secret of your physical life comes from the very center of your skeletal structure. So the center of you is the source of life. That's your spirit. So that's what the writer is comparing it to. But then he compares your soul to a joint. A joint is a meeting, it's the joining place, it's the pivotal point, the hinge between two members. You got my upper arm, this massive upper arm here, and this, what are you laughing about? (laughs) You got this upper arm, you got lower arm, and then I've got a joint here, which is is the elbow. The elbow is going to, that joint is going to respond to what's going up on the upper arm or the lower arm. And so it's it's simply going to respond, it's a go-between, so to speak. And that really gives us some insight into the function of the human soul. The soul is simply to be a go-between between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. We, we learn in our relationship with God, and as we learn the things of the Spirit, we process, process them in our minds so we can articulate them, we understand them, we make decisions, or we have feelings, we make decisions in our soul for our body to execute the will of God. It's the hinge. But when it no longer has the spirit to respond to, the soul simply responds to the flesh. And so the mind makes decisions based on what the flesh wants. I want food. I want sleep. You know, and all these other things that we can get ourselves into trouble with if we do too much of. And so the soul becomes subjected to the flesh. So what was God's remedy? God's remedy was a born again experience. John chapter 3, Jesus said it. Unless you are born from above or born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You have a spirit before you're saved, okay? But your spirit is dead in the sense that it's cut off from God. One of the scientific definitions of the word death means to be cut off from the environment that you, it can't function, it's an environment. Like, for instance, a dead eye. It doesn't necessarily mean that your eye is non-existent. You may have an eyeball, but it can no longer respond to its environment. It doesn't see. It's a dead eye. And that's the sense in which the human spirit is dead without God. And so there are people who begin to have spiritual experiences. They have, they have these encounters. They have, there, there's, there's things that they experience in the unseen realm, and, and the world calls them spiritual 
And in a sense, that's a correct definition. They are spiritual, but it's, it, they're cut off from light, from God, and they're fellowshipping with darkness. And people can end up having all kinds of wild things happen because they end up fellowshipping with demons. So what does God do? He offers us a born-again experience. We come in, and when we're born again, literally, Peter says, the life of God comes to live inside of you. You are partakers of the divine nature, the seed of God, it says. The sperma of God is the Greek. You are partakers of the divine nature. His life comes to live inside of your spirit and give your spirit new life. You're born again. And I'll never forget when that happened. When I got born again, when I met Jesus, when I was... Now, some people say, well, pastor, I thought you were raised in church and you were a Christian when you were looking. I was. Say, well, when did you get saved? I don't know. All I know is I encountered God as as an alcoholic and I think I was on my way to hell. Okay? I I was a profane, rebellious young man and when I cried out to Jesus and he invaded that room, everything changed. And all of a sudden, there was a whole other part of my nature that was aware of things. I was alive, and it was like the two-dimensional black and white world all of a sudden stretched and became three-dimensional. It was color. There were birds. There was music. It was like a Disney movie. I mean, it was awesome. All of a sudden, this whole other dimension was alive. What happened? My spirit man was born again. I had life in my spirit. Here's the problem. I was a baby Christian. What does that mean? That life of God within my human spirit was in embryonic form. It could barely make itself known. I was was still living on the streets when I got born again. And this late, that's not good English, got born again. When I was redeemed. When I got saved, the the lady that led me to the Lord, I was was living in her and her family's house, and she gave me money for a, a Bible. And I meant to buy a Bible with it. I really did. But I went out and bought a keg with it instead. Because even though I was born again, there was this life of God within me. It's like, oh my goodness. There's a whole other dimension to reality that I I, I wasn't aware of. It was an amazing thing. My soul was still was still programmed according to my flesh. My soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions, my belief system was still so messed up. It wasn't that I was still bound to alcohol, actually, but it was a belief system that I had, and I had to break free from that belief system. I had to renew my mind. My emotions, I still had a whole lot of woundedness that because of the the self-imposed garbage that I put myself through, I, I, have, I had all this, this garbage that the enemy could just, I had a lot of switches. He could just, you know, you ever people talk about pushing your buttons? I had a lot of buttons. The enemy just pushed my button and I'd be off doing something, you know, because that was how I dealt with my pain. And so I had to deal with the emotional pain. A lot of that was inner healing and just processing it. Some of it was just talking about it and no longer running from it and, and processing that. And, and as I did, that would, that would lead me over to some wrong thinking. I'd realize, oh man, you know what? A lot of what I do in this area of my life is just to protect me from this pain over here. And that, that is really unhealthy thinking. And so it was a process of getting, going through all of this. So when I was saved, my spirit was just an embryonic form. It could barely make itself known. Get in worship, 
wah, wah, you know. Do you love Jesus? Wah, you know. But as soon as they put alcohol in front of me, because my fleshly man had been developed over time. And so my fleshly man would take my spirit man, kicking and dragging, kicking, no, no. And he'd just drag him back into sin. And it's because I had, my soul was geared towards my flesh. So what needed to happen? There was two specific things. I needed to feed my spirit man the milk of the word. I needed to get that word in there so I would begin to grow up into him who is the head. And then I needed to deal with those wrong belief systems. I needed to deal with those, those wounded areas in my soul. And I needed to deny my flesh. You know there's nothing wrong with food as long as you don't eat too much of it. And there's been times in my life where I've ate too much of it. I remember one time we were talking as a staff and Laura Lemmick said, you know, I just, she she said something to the fact, I don't know if I've ever ate till I'm really full because it's just uncomfortable. And we all looked at her like, what planet did you come from? That's like my goal every time I sit down to eat, you know? It was just so bizarre to me. I thought, what? I don't even understand that. That's unha- my, that was a healthy attitude she had. See, being in relationships exposes your be- wrong belief systems. I had one exposed right then. There's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with a lot of the things that cause us problems. But it's, it's our, our flesh dragging us into that. That's, that's one of the reasons fasting is a good thing to do. Every now and then, on an ongoing basis, consistently in your life, you say, you know what, body, I'm going to grab you by the neck and you're going to follow me over here, even though you don't want to go, because I'm going to show you who's in charge. And then after you bring them into submission, you can send them back to food, you know. But just every now and then, you've got to show them who's boss. You know, there's an element of fasting that is nothing more, nothing less than that. Here's the thing. God wants you to grow up. It begins with you meeting him, the born-again experience. That's an awesome thing. But it continues on with you very intentionally getting the word in you, reprogramming your mind, dealing with your emotions, no longer following your emotions, make your emotions follow you. Don't follow your feelings, have your feelings follow you. Have your feeling, if you make good decisions, you know what? Eventually that trailer is going to come back around and by and large you're going to be pretty happy with your life because you've made very healthy decisions. When I got saved I was depressed and you know what? I had a very good right to be depressed. I'd made a real mess in my life. The last thing I needed someone to do was relieve me of that by just saying, oh, you know, uh, here's a pill. No, that pain is one of the very things that drove me to Jesus. So we need to grow up into him. We got to deal with our mind, deal with our emotions, feed ourselves the the word, get under the word. And sometimes that word's going to come from other people because you can't see it when you pick up the Bible. Because you're, you're imposing your own belief systems on the Bible. You ever been going through something and someone asks you what's going on and even as you say it, you're embarrassed to admit what you've been really thinking? Am I the only one? Where as you're saying it, it's like, oh man, this is kind of dumb, isn't it? But it seems so real in your head when you kept it in your own head. But even as you're saying, it's not, you didn't even need a counselor. You just needed someone to ask a question, you know. And as you were saying, it's like, oh, man, I guess that's really dumb. That's why we need relationships. Because relationships will draw out stupid thinking. Now, you won't find that very phrase in the Bible. 
But, I mean, it's good preaching, okay? Matter of fact, that might be the name of this podcast. Relationships draw out stupid thinking. So, uh, let's land there. Let's stand. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.